Psalm 73 is the scripture tonight. I'm going to pull out your Bible. We're going to track along in the psalm as the sermon progresses. One of the nice things about having come here way back in 2000, I was assigned the duty of visiting seniors. That was my ministry. There was a Mr. DeBoer who used to do this work, and he moved away, and then they had to find somebody, so they called me to visit seniors. This is way back in 2000. And uh, visiting seniors is, uh, is a nice thing, you know, a cup of coffee, and then they start giving you an organ recital about their liver and their pancreas and their stomach. <laughs> but what I really mean to say is that they tell you their faith uh, questions. Um, one thing about seniors, they, this uh, one folk said, is that we have too much time to think, Domine. Too much time to think. You know, there isn't much expected of seniors. They uh, sit not in a rocking chair, but they, they, don't, they don't have any responsibilities uh, to a large degree, so they have time to think. And stuff that they think about are the big picture things about faith and about God. My grandfather, as he uh, retired and uh, lived with his daughter, and my aunt in Holland, um, he put down his thoughts in a sort of a spiritual biography and he he was wondering about these big things that he had always uh, believed in and he wasn't so sure anymore so these these seniors uh, they they think a lot they think big questions and i say this by way of introduction because the writer of psalm 73 is doing the precisely the same thing He's thinking the big thought, the big questions. And my guess is that the writer in Psalm 73 is an older man, and uh, he's got time on his hands. And you see in verse 16, verse 16 of Psalm 73, uh, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. He's been telling the story up until verse 16 about how he sees the wicked doing successful and him suffering. And when he tried to understand all this, it seemed oppressive to me. And this kind of thinking that he's been doing wasn't some thinking that, that, that just suddenly came up. Uh, this was the thinking that was a kind of heavy brooding that rests on your mind. It's with you when you put your head down on the pillow at night, and it's with you in the morning. He's brooding about it. It affects him deeply. And the more he thought about it, about the subject, it became oppressive. It says, it became oppressive to me. Um, the subject sort of goaded him and taunted him and mocked him. Uh, in the King James Version, uh, it says, it was painful to me. Uh, another translation has, uh, I got depressed about it, trying to understand all this. And uh, in verse 15, 
he recognizes that it's kind of a rotten thinking that was in his mind about all of this stuff. It, it put the faith of others at risk. And uh, what is it that he's been pestered with? Well, it's found in verses 3 through 11. This heavy thinking that he's doing, this brooding that he's doing, it's found in verses 3 through 11. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their mind know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Their people turn to them, drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. In vain, surely, in vain, I have kept my heart pure. In vain, I have washed my hands in innocence all day long. I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. This is the issue. He's thinking about the stuff he sees and hears about the wicked, the arrogant, he calls them, the, their arrogance and their prosperity. And uh, this is what he saw and he heard. They have no reverence for God. They have no respect for the word of God. They're proud as peacocks. Um... They're violent men. They hurt others. They're loud-mouthed braggarts. Makes me think of that TV show, The Sopranos. Remember The Sopranos? Um, they have no pain. They got no struggles. They're healthy. They're carefree. They're not plagued by human ills. They live the life of Riley. Jersey Shore. Yeah. You ever heard of TV show, The Jersey Shore? And... Uh, they're living in some kind of paradise, a life of shalom. And what the psalmist sees, and he itemizes there, what he sees, he hears, what he feels, it's pulling him into a spiritual frustration. He is stumbling. He is falling into a kind of spiritual trap. And uh, seeing this prosperity, the health and the arrogance of the wicked, his lament is, this is not how life should be arranged. Because his faith statement is in, found in verse 1. It's a faith statement we, always, we all share. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Surely God is good to the pure in heart. Right? So the pure in heart should be blessed. The pure in heart should be blessed. That's his faith statement. And it's not panning out that way. It's not panning out that way. Verse 1, it's the premise on which faith rests. God, if God is good to the pure in heart, then what should he be to the wicked of heart? What should he be to the wicked of heart? Then shouldn't these wicked be hurting? Shouldn't their road of life be much tougher than mine? 
You can follow his thinking. You could almost enter into his line of thinking. His, uh, his line of thinking is, look, you want to be an atheist? That's your right. Be an atheist. How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? You want to choose for God? Uh, you want to be an atheist? Fine. You do that. But there should be a price for your atheism. There should be a cost to have an atheistic perspective. A person can choose to mock God, but there should be a price. That's his way of thinking. People who walk away from God shouldn't have a free ride on God's good earth. That's, this is his line of thinking. They shouldn't have a free ride in God's good earth, blessed with air, with food, um, no troubles, uh, prosperity, wealth. But look at them. They're arrogant. They oppress the poor. They're carefree. They increase in wealth. And you can almost read between the lines how he's thinking. If I were God, if I were God, you know what I'd do? I'd hit those suckers. If I were God, I get indignant. I get angry because God is good to the pure in heart and the wicked. That's just his line of thinking. You can hear the thinking that when people mock God, there should be some kind of payback. If I were God, I'd fix their wagon. I'd see to it that these people would go hungry. I'd give them, oh, they're farmers, I'd give them crop failure, I'd give them a horde of grasshoppers and, and insects and some disease. I'd, I'd, I'd wreck their business deals. That's what I'd do, yeah. I'd make their lives miserable. I'd send some hordes of uh, invading vandals and they would burn down their barns and houses. Yeah, yeah, I can think of all kinds of neat things. Because I want them to have trouble because that's my predicament. That's my predicament. You see in verse 13, verse 13, in vain, surely in vain, and when you use the word in vain, that means you are doing a mental calculation. It's a, it's a prid quo quo. I do this, I do good, I should be rewarded. And if I'm not rewarded, well, I've done that stuff in vain. When you use the word in vain, you're doing a mental calculation. I should be compensated for what I've done for you. You should pay me back. Surely in vain, I have kept my uh, heart pure. God is good to the pure in heart. Look at me. Look at me. I've been plagued all day long. I've been punished every morning. I'm the guy who wants to do right with God. I'm the guy who wants to live the straight and narrow. I pray. I help my neighbor. I respect the Bible. My hands are clean. And what do I get? Look at verse 14. I've been plagued. I'm constantly sick. The stuff I endure is like a punishment. Surely, if God is good to the pure in heart, then why? How come? This is his predicament. 
He's in this stumbled trap. This is what we call stinking thinking. If you're involved in addiction counseling, you know what stinking thinking is. It's what thinking that goes on in your head that gives you permission to just, who cares? And you live the life however you want to live it. Stinking thinking, brooding, pondering, and the more he thought about it, the angrier he got. My heart was grieved. Look at verse 21. My heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast. My heart is grieved. My spirit is filled with bitterness. There's a rebellious spirit. And that's a, that's a genuine human experience to be angry with God and to treat him like a, a brute beast. Uh, I was like a dumb donkey. And the more I thought about it, the more painfully and oppressive it became. Stinking thinking, brooding thinking, painful. Why should the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? The psalmist knew that this line of thinking would do any good. One thing I admire about, about him, this is the testimony after the fact. Okay, you got to recognize that this is after the fact. He's come through it. He's been out of it now, and he's looking back, and he tells the story. In verse 15, there's a nice confession. He said, if I had been with my kids and grandkids and told them, look, kids, it's nonsense to believe in God. You think God's going to bless you? Forget it. Look at me. If he would tell his kids and grandkids what he's struggling with, and the questions that he's dealing with, he would have betrayed his children and grandchildren. He would have betrayed. He would have kicked the ground from underneath them, and they wouldn't know where to stand. Because one of the things that is a privilege for seniors is that they become uh, spiritual mentors. Uh, as they grow older, they get wiser. They have a sense of how God works, and they give reassurance. And if they don't demonstrate that, it makes a younger generation uneasy. If the older generation isn't convinced anymore, then what's the younger generation going to think and do? And what are they going to believe? And he's aware of that. In verse 15, he is honest enough to say, I'd, at least I didn't bring my lament out in public and let my grandkids and my kids hear about what I'm lamenting about. He said, if I had spoken thus, I would have betrayed your children. We could step out of the psalm here and, and do some sort of theological reflection here. Let's just step out of... There's an ironic thing that is being um, quite clear here. Number one, the psalmist testifies to the wicked who walk away from God. They're arrogant. They walk away from God and they think, look, sin has no punishment. 
Sin has no punishment. That's what the wicked are thinking. How can God know? How does the Most High have knowledge? That's one line of thinking. That's the wicked. There's another line of thinking that's occurring in the psalmist, and that's from the psalmist. We have the righteous one who almost walks away because they think righteousness has no reward. Sin has no punishment, and righteousness has no reward. So why should I bother living the Christian life? Sin is not punished, and righteousness is not blessed. Now you talk about stinking thinking. This guy is in a pickle, a real theological pickle. And that's not sweet and sour. It's a dill. <laughs> He's in a real pickle. And uh, sin has no punishment. Righteousness has no reward. And he says, I almost. In verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost. And there is a world of mercy and grace in that little word, almost. God snatched him by the scruff of his neck just before he slipped away, almost walked away in trying to understand this. And in verse 17, it's when he went to church and he got it straight. Verse 17, till I, answered, I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. It's in church, he understood their final destiny, and he understood another thing, his security. It's in church that his eyes are opened, and he understood a bigger story. Now, the scripture doesn't say what went on in the sanctuary to... Um, sort of help him correct his thinking and help him get the perspective straight. Uh, we would kind of wish that there would have been more description. It doesn't tell us. Uh, but in the, in the temple, in the sanctuary, there would be these uh, rituals of sacrifice, and there would be the singing, and there would be the, the solemn uh, beauty of the, the service of worship for God and the treatment of the holy things. Uh, in the sanctuary, he enters, and it corrects his thinking. And one thing's for sure. When you enter the sanctuary, there's a switch from poor old me, my story, you get focused on God's story. It's not on what's happening to you as a child of God, but the emphasis is on what is God doing. And there's a world that has to be appreciated about that. A switching of perspective, a switching of story. One thing's for sure. In church, we can hear and see God's side of the bigger picture. In worship, as you come into the sanctuary, in worship, you get elevated, you moved, you're moved out of your your immediate world, and you become connected to something that is holy, majestic. There is a, a liturgy that has its roots of 2,000 years. 
uh, and you listen to some of the music that is presented in churches, uh, particularly in the uh, uh, cathedrals of Europe and maybe here in Canada, when you hear those majestic choirs, uh, the uh, Mozart's uh, Missa Brevis, uh, Handel's Messiah, that the, 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 the hair on the back of your neck just springs right out, and it just sent, oh, even right now, look at the hair standing on my arms. When I, when I hear that music, it just, your soul is lifted because you hear the story of God. Uh, Linda and I went to the Handel's Messiah here in Kitchener some years ago, and who should be there but this person who was called a Sikh, you know, the, with the turban, and they are there listening to God's story being told in song by Handel's Messiah. And I think, what a wonderful way to be introduced to what God is doing. And when I hear the soloist in Handel's Messiah, I know my Redeemer lives. It moves us to tears. It moves us to tears. The perspective changes when you come into church there's value in coming to church to get it straight. There's a reality check. My story versus his story, which is a longer story. And you were reminded that it's not just this earth that God is concerned about, but there's a world to come. And that is your security. So maybe sometimes you come to church, you're frustrated, you're brooding. And there's the words of the old hymn that come to mind. Christian, dost thou see them on the holy ground? Powers of darkness compassing thee around. Dost thou feel them? Do you hear them work within? Striving, tempting, luring, goading into sin. When we live in the world that we do with media, Twitter, and Facebook, and all of that, internet, constantly challenging our values, assaulting our consciences. God isn't punishing the wicked, bruising our spirit making a sense, mocking, uh, mocking a sense of righteousness, then church is the place to come for a reality check. In the presence of God and of God's people, we have our eyes opened, our hearts opened, and we have to confess with the psalmist, yeah, there are times when I think, boy, that wicked kind of life looks attractive. I envied, I envied the arrogant, verse 3, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Meaning, I want the same. I envy their prosperity, their carefree lifestyle. These narcissistic selfies, they are lost in their world of focusing on their self. The wicked have gained the world, but they have lost their soul, says verse 19 and 20. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors as a dream when one awakes. I think of Whitney Houston. She died in a bathtub on an overdose of alcohol and drugs. There was a story of a woman who was dead for over a month. Story is told in Facebook. Some folks found her because the mail and the newspapers were piling up, so they broke into her house and... Her only connection with the outside world is with a Facebook friend. She was rich, but yet she had nothing. They are swept away. The wicked are addicted to power, wealth, prosperity, fame. And when the end comes, 
They stare death in the face. I wonder why rap artists wear sunglasses indoors. Why do these rap artists wear sunglasses indoors when there's dim lighting? It's to hide, I think, the fact that they have no soul. They don't want others to see their eyes. They are hollow. I think of T.S. Eliot, The Wasteland, the hollow men. They're straw men. And so, it's in church that the psalmist understands a bigger story, the final destiny. These folks he envied, they're just swept away. In church, he understands their destiny. And then there's another reality check. He understands his security. Verse 23, I am always with you. It's your right hand that holds me fast. My final destiny in the end, I will always be with you. I almost slipped, but your hand holds me. It's in church where we come near God, and it's good to be near God, to make the sovereign Lord your refuge. Here's where there's another story told, another picture of life and what's valuable and sustaining. Um, I'm going to tell you something to do here, and don't tell anyone else, okay? <laughs> if you get a chance... Uh, go to a Roman Catholic cathedral with the stained glass windows and the majestic things and you see Jesus on the cross. You know, we think it's, it's an incomplete story. There shouldn't be Jesus on the cross. But it does serve some spiritual help. Sit near the front and just stare at the cross with Jesus hanging there and think through the story. God loved you so much. He went through pain. The most righteous man on earth. He endured suffering. And let that story sink in. And it will be overwhelming that God is compassionate and kind and he does have his eye and ear to his children so there's a reality check. I almost, I nearly lost my spiritual bearing because of envy. So in the words of the old hymn of our church, uh, you know, that's hymn we don't find in our gray hymnal, unfortunately, but it's in the new one, though. Nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart. I can't even say the words. Yeah, I know the words, but I'm just overcome. Draw me, my Savior, so precious thou art. Fold me, oh, fold me close to thy breast. Shelter me safe in that haven of rest. Blessed are the pure in heart. Yeah, you don't see God in, in the here and now frequently. You will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Ain't that the truth? Amen. Heavenly Father, we're going to honestly say that some of the things that we think about do pester us, and we have these 
kind of a spiritual equation, the spiritual math that we do. We tally up the positives, the negatives, and we think that you should pay accordingly. That's just our childish way of thinking. Punishment and reward. The good should be rewarded and the bad stuff should be punished. And we know that there's a, another story that's being told in the scripture that there is a way that you have that we cannot understand and it bothers us, upsets us. And we would ask that you would be patient with us and that we would have your spirit so that we just trust that you will take care of those people we envy and you will take care of us and we will never be short and in the end all things will work together for good that's our consolation father so bless us with that knowledge and comfort us we pray in jesus name amen